we're going to be in Matthew 4. I started going through Matthew recently after going through the Old Testament uh, and doing kind of an overview. Now we, we said, you know, it's been, we haven't been in a gospel in a while. Let's go through a gospel. And, we, and since we had just gone through the New Old Testament, we said, let's do Matthew so we can talk about all these connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament and, and how Jesus fulfill those, fulfills those things. So that's kind of our theme going through Matthew. And we've, we've reached chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 18 through 22. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We've got extras. Or if you need help finding some. This, this chapter, then just let somebody next to you know. They'd be happy to help you. We're going to read through a, a pretty short section. I keep tell, telling Tanner, yeah, we're going to finish chapter 4. We're going to finish chapter 4. I'm not going to finish chapter 4. But the, the last few verses of chapter 4 are a great bridge into chapter 5. That, like, it's a good transition. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to read 18 through 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers... Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father And followed him. Let's pray. Father God, like we just sang about, I pray that you would indeed fix our eyes on you, that we would see your worth, that we would we would know. When we look around at everything in the world, we would know that you are immeasurably more. After we get out of here, talking about these verses, I pray that we would all have a feeling that you are immeasurably more. And for those of us that are struggling this morning, for me, struggling up here this morning, I pray that we would find solace in your suffering like we just sang about, and that there would be comfort in that, and that there would be encouragement in that, knowing that we can lay everything down and follow you and not lose anything, but only gain. I pray that you would help me this morning to preach like it's the last time. And help all of us to hear it as though it's our last chance. Give me the words to speak and help us all to understand it in a way that is deep down into the root of our soul and cause us to be changed by this. And in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm just going to get right into it. Uh, The call of the gospel is for everybody. When I look at these these verses and, and just the gospel in general, one thing that continues to stand out to me is the idea that 
the gospel is really counterintuitive. Like it's, it doesn't seem to match our expectations or our plans or anything like that. And I just continue to be reminded of those things, how, how the gospel is, is kind of surprising. It's surprising that the gospel is for everybody in the sense that Jesus preaches it to everybody. He's coming here, and we already talked about this a little bit last week, how, how Jesus kind of started his ministry in Galilee. That's not the best place for him to have started ministry. I mean, it, in, in our thinking, it wouldn't have been the best place. Like if you're trying to build a brand, you don't go to Galilee to start doing that. But Jesus goes there first. And, and that's, the, that's the pattern. He goes here to a group of fishermen that, that likely wouldn't do much to boost his pub, public image as a king. It wouldn't do much to build his brand, these fishermen. They were not powerful men in high positions. They weren't particularly knowledgeable about the Old Testament, about politics, about war, about kingdom building, or rhetoric, like being able to speak in front of people. They weren't community leaders who held massive influence over people. These were simple men who would do very little to boast Jesus' reputation, you would think. So, why would Jesus, why would Jesus specifically call these men to be his disciples? Because the gospel is for everybody. And particularly, it's for those who are going to drop what they have and pick up with Jesus and follow him. And that doesn't have any kind of barrier. That reaches out to everybody. These were men who, like everybody else, were made in the image of God and who were fallen, just like everybody. And so in that respect, there was nothing different from these guys and everybody else. And so I don't think that Jesus saw these kinds of barriers that everybody else saw when he was preaching when he was reaching out to people, he saw fallen people in need of salvation and he went to everybody. And so that, that's grace. That's grace. He doesn't limit his call to the elite or the popular. He calls everybody. He calls us. These were simple men and they were the first ones that he calls. I think it's interesting how People talk, particularly in our culture, particularly in this time, about how Christianity needs to change its fundamental nature in order to appeal to culture. But Christianity has never been defined by cultural norms. What Jesus is doing here, what he's doing throughout this, this account, Matthew's account, is just, it's countercultural. It's not, it's not defined fundamentally by the culture that it's in. Sure, he spoke in terms, and we'll see more of this. We haven't really gotten to an extended period of his teaching, but we will here in a couple of weeks. We're going to see that he spoke in terms that, that everybody could understand. So in that sense, you know, he, he, 
adapted to the culture. And Paul, later apostles, they adapted to the culture. But he doesn't operate in a culturally defined kind of way. He doesn't stoop to the level of our culture to to make his standards. Jesus came as the long-awaited Savior and King of the world, and he was born in a stable. And hardly anybody was aware of it. One of the few groups that got an invite were shepherds, guys that were considered to be some of the lowliest people in society. Like they had, they had the crap jobs, like literally they're dealing with crap. <laughs> and nobody, nobody looks up to the shepherds and says, wow, those are the guys that deserve an invite to the king of the world's birth. But, but they were the ones that got an invitation. He was born to parents that were just average Jews in terms of their income and their status. He grew up in a part of the country that was looked down on as being populated by a bunch of half-breeds. And he ministered first among those people. He ministered among the sick people and the sinful people of society that the cultural elites at the time did not care for. And he, Jesus, like the people that he ministered to, was ostracized. But in the midst of all that, he doesn't change his standards. He doesn't change what he's built on in order to adapt to the culture. And so it just continues to be a surprise. And I know that that, that's what, you know, a lot of people preach on this sort of thing. How you just look at the gospel and you see how it's just just surprising. Like it's different than the way that we think about things. And so as, as we look at this call, we're going to realize that when he's calling these disciples, he's, he's calling us too. We're going to see this play out. As he's calling disciples to himself, it's, it's kind of like the call of repentance that, that we talked about last week. How it's not just an event. Like at this one point in time, you decide that you're going to change and, and, and that's something that you kind of just pass up and it becomes a part of your history. When the call to follow Jesus that he, he gives to us here and to these men is for a lifetime. And it's one that requires this lifetime commitment. This call becomes a daily challenge as we struggle between the will of the world and the will of God. And ultimately, it requires us to give up everything that we have and everything that we are in order to follow Jesus. He goes to these guys, these fishermen, and he tells them, follow me. I don't know how much they knew about Jesus. I, I've, I think that we have some evidence that they were, some of these guys were followers of John the Baptist prior to Jesus. So if... If that's true, then we know that they know about Jesus because John's whole message was Jesus. So I have to believe that they recognize him a little bit. They know what's going on here. And they know when he walks up and says, follow me, he's not talking about like come to lunch. He's talking about a life-changing event when he says, follow me. And you might look at these guys and you might say, you know, Annette is not too hard a thing to leave. Even for a fisherman. You can get a new net if you need to. But in that moment, these guys were dropping more than just nets. Those nets were representative 
of so much more than just nets. Twisted up into the fibers of those nets were those men's careers, their livelihood, their family's well-being, their kids' educations, their insurance, to put it in our, in our terms, their status in the world, day-to-day lives were wrapped up in those nets. It was their identity, in a sense. In the same way that I go to work and I make a website sometimes or I'll produce some document for somebody or something like that. And yeah, it is just a document to fulfill a purpose, but at the same time, it's representative of all my effort. It's representative of a little bit of who I am being put into those things. And I do it for, for a multitude of reasons. I do it to take care of my family. I do it to contribute a little bit. Like that, That's a statement of, of who, who I am. And so when these guys here are fishing, and, the, and Jesus walks up and says, follow me. And they recognize this is more than just some afternoon get-together. They recognize that all of that, all of that that's tied up into their identity is being called upon an altar to be sacrificed. When Jesus comes and he talks to them and he says, follow me. Just like the nets, though, the man who did the calling was more than a mere man. And I think they knew that. I think that when he said those words, they knew that he was more than a mere man. They knew that he was the king of the world, that he was the long-awaited Messiah of Israel, and that he was going to provide salvation, salvation unlike anything that they had ever seen before. He knew that, or they knew that he brought peace to the world, and that he was going to make everything new again, everything right again. And so when they hear the call of this man, you hold up those two things in comparison And you look at your identity and everything that was wrapped up in those nets and those boats. And you look at Jesus and you come to the conclusion that one of those things is worth immeasurably more than the other. I think that they knew that. And so for them, it wasn't wasn't a difficult thing. Like It says immediately. It doesn't say that they, they held a committee meeting. Or that they, they said, well, give me some time to think about it. Let me, let me do some you know, cost-benefit analysis and, and do the reporting and then figure out you know, if I think that this is going to be beneficial to me. It says that they immediately dropped it because they saw who Jesus was. And it wasn't... It wasn't anything worth comparing. Jesus called them to be something different than what they were. He called them to change their identities. He says that he was going to make them fishes of men, which I think is weird. (laughs) I think that's a weird way to say that. Maybe it's just because I'm too literal. 
And I'm thinking, man, you're going to, like, we're going to round up some people and put them in nets? <laughs> Obviously, that's not what he's talking about. But I just think that it's weird. I was just thinking, how would he talk to me? And I, <laughs> this is so cheesy. Like, I do, I do computer code. So I was like, if Jesus would like to walk up into my cubicle and say, and say something like this. It's like, Daniel, come with me. And I knew what he was saying. How would he present that next part? Like, we're going to go reprogram some sinners? <laughs> that, that seems cheesy to me. Um, but he's, he's saying, we're going to change who you are. We're going to change what you do. And so they're laying down who they are to become something new and, and to follow Christ. And at this moment, knowing what we know, if you know anything about the rest of the gospel and, and maybe a little bit of extra biblical history, that you can look at this moment and picture it as a flashback in the minds of these men. Because later on, how are their lives going to end as a result of this moment? The Bible only gives us details about a couple of these guys. But from extra-biblical history from, um, from Christians that wrote early, early, early in the church's history, we know a little bit about how these guys, how their life ended. Peter would grow to be a leader. He would start churches. He would preach he would call thousands of people to follow Christ and he would draw the attention of the government who saw it as an uprising and he would be crucified under Emperor Nero who was just an insane, horrible person. James would get his head cut off by Herod. We know about that one from Acts 12. He's actually one of the first, he is the first one to die. He gets his head cut off because of this message, because he's preaching in and around Jerusalem. And again, they see it as a threat, so they kill him. Andrew would be tortured. According to tradition, he was tortured for two days and put on a cross also. And he would die slowly over those two days. But as he did so, people say that he was preaching to everybody that was passing by talking about this gospel. John, again, from what we know from extra-biblical extra history, he, he actually died naturally. But before that, they tried to kill him. They tried to boil him alive. But that didn't work. So they sentenced him to work on this island for several years, which is where he wrote Revelation. And then eventually he comes back, I think, to Ephesus. And he preaches there until he dies. All of these men could look back at this moment of their lives, knowing everything that was about to happen to them before their deaths. Some of them were given opportunities to renounce it, to say, you know what, never mind, I'm going to give it up, hang it up. Pick up the nets again. Going to go be a fisherman. Go back to what I know. But none of them, given that opportunity, did so. So something tells me that if they, if they were actually given that opportunity to go back in time, 
and to change what happened here in these verses, that none of them would have held onto those nets and said, no, it's not worth it. And so for us, reading something like this, which is, I mean, it's pretty straightforward, but it's also huge. Because Jesus is calling more than just these four men on this sea fishing. He's calling the world. We see that later in Matthew in particular. He's going to say, go to all nations, all peoples, and tell them to follow me. So we know that this is for us. And so when we read this, recognize that you have a net that you're holding on to. Like everybody's got something in which your identity is tied up in. Who you are, what you do on a day-to-day basis, how you work, what your attitude is, like how you're making a living, all these, all these things, they're tied up into that thing that you're holding on to. And when Jesus says, follow me, you better recognize who it is that's doing the calling and what it is that he's calling you to do because he's calling you to essentially drop that net or whatever it is for the sake of the gospel. So my prayer as we're looking at this and as we're reading this is that we're going to look, look at the thing or things that we're holding on to and then we're going to look at Jesus we're going to do a little comparison in our heads and ultimately find that it's not even a comparison. We're going to think about what Jesus is calling us to, knowing in advance that men have died horrible deaths for this. And we're going to say, I count all things as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus we come to that conclusion and we drop the net whatever it is they left the boats they had to leave their dad they had to leave who they were to become something new because what Jesus delivers to us when he says follow me you're actually gaining because this is grace to us we talked about this last week how Jesus coming is grace Him coming to these fishermen of all people is grace. He could have talked to anybody. But he talks to these guys, just average guys. And he says, hey, this message is for you. You're a broken person. You're a sinner. You're going to die. But I can change all that, is essentially what Jesus is saying. He can change who we are. He can speak into our lives and move in us to produce something new, to produce new life in us. And that is grace to us. So I pray that we would see that in just this little brief example and that moving forward, we would make that decision to follow Christ, even though it's going to cost us something, even though it's going to force us to live differently than the world is going to want us to live to the point that they might even threaten us 
kill us, try to put us in prison, put us away, silence us. We're going to look at all that knowingly and drop our nets. Let's pray. Father God, now I pray that you would do what we can't do for ourselves, which is to change our hearts. I pray that somehow you would perform the miracle of of changing our perspective on everything and that you would cause us to value Christ infinitely, immeasurably more than anything we're holding on to. I pray that you would cause us to see Jesus for who he is and recognize the grace that's being extended to us. When he says, follow me, it's not a burden he's giving us. It's a release from burdens. I pray that we would see it that way. And... I pray that during this time we would respond. In Jesus' name, amen.